Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 220 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and it's nice to be back in the saddle after a week of uh, of extreme illness and uh, other unpleasantness, but we're back to talk Mets, and so Chris and I are going to do just that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, spring training, uh, an event we're going to this week, and a few more things, so check it out. Hey guys, we are back with another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Uh, Chris, we had a bit of Mets news today, and, and this is truly small potatoes, but that's where we are in the offseason. Uh, 13 minor league players will be invited to major league camp during spring training, and uh, I wouldn't say any of them are huge surprises, but uh, any, any, we'll, we'll go through the whole list in a second, but did anyone stand out to you as a uh, particular interesting invite? Well, I think the obvious one is Dom Smith, and we can touch back on him a little bit more. And one of the emails is about him. Um, you know, he's the guy who Mets fans are in love with. If he goes out and he has a good spring training, whether even if it's just the first week or two, because uh, a lot of times that's all these guys get before it's time to go back to minor league camp. Um. But that's the kind of thing that I can see people getting worked up over. Like, imagine Dom Smith has a better first week of spring training than Lucas Duda. Oh, man, it's over. I mean, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so that that is interesting to me. And then I would say, uh, and, you know, not knocking anybody else on, on the list, but uh, regular listeners of the podcast, Logan Taylor, uh, who was on the podcast last mm-hmm. year yeah is one of the guys so you know he pitched out of the bullpen for binghamton last year he did well uh in that role i think it the, that transition into the bullpen helped him sort of you know focus on things and if you want to hear more about that i recommend going back and and hearing him talk about it directly uh plugging our own podcast here <laughs> almost a year old podcast as well Yes, but you know that that's a guy who, when you're looking through the names, uh, there's a little bit of a connection there. So yeah, and he he's not exactly the most touted prospect either, right? So it's interesting yeah, to see him called up like this. Yeah. So and and I think generally speaking, the pitchers are guys who, you know, I mean, several of them are still starting in the minors. Um, Spring training, everybody's outings are short, but I'm sure that we'll see them pitching an inning, maybe two, in relief, depending on whether it's a regular game or split squad game. Uh, So it'll be fun to get a look at them. Uh, And then um, I'm almost covering everybody here, but... (laughs) Go for it. You know, Champ Stewart, I think, could be fun as well, just because he's so fast. Uh, you know, if he gets out there, if he gets on base, he could steal second and third, especially in like a spring training game. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of, a. a I have, since I've been going to spring training every year for the past four and nothing's official, but I should be back down there again this year. I, I sort of have like a newfound appreciation for it and, you know, I'm not down there for a month and a half. Or, or even a little bit longer than that this year because it all starts earlier because of the World Baseball Classic. So I don't get as jaded as, say, like the beat reporters do. <laughs> it's like a nice four- or five-day break from the winter, and it's a nice taste of baseball. Um, I could see six weeks in Port St. Lucie getting old. Uh, four or five days is great. So in, in that- See, you have to hang out with my uncle who lives down there. He's in a bocce league. Nice. I mean, you know, there's 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 stuff to do if you're a 70 year old man in uh <laughs> in Port St. Lucie, I guess. But yeah, well, I, are you saying that the uh, beat reporters have the spirit of a 70 year old man? <laughs> Some of them wish they did, but that's a whole other story. Um, um we we love them. We do absolutely. Got to make fun a little. Come um, on, they have they have they get to travel around writing about baseball. It's a pretty yes. good job. We can we can we can poke a little fun. Yes, and I think uh, a lot of them do keep that in perspective. Absolutely, um, yeah. We're not also all, not all, but no, a lot. not all. I, I don't. This is a bit of a tangent here, but I don't think uh, Mets fans realize how lucky we are with the quality of our beat reporters. 
If, yeah. if you read other newspapers and Twitter feeds and online articles from other teams, not all teams have the quality of beat reporters that, that the Mets have. So be thankful for those guys. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of good writers out there, but in a, in you know a smaller market, you might have, uh, you know, like the one good writer. Right. That's it. So, you know, I mean, a lot of times you you hear things, it's sort of a echo chamber and especially on Twitter, you know, Sandy Alderson is speaking, Terry Collins is speaking, lineups are coming out, everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. But it does open itself up that you can get into like the exploration of more variety of stories or, you know, things that you might not get if it was just one guy who, or, or one guy or girl, I should say, who who is focused on, you know, having to do all of the big things right you know previews the game story um you know any big news of the day that kind of thing just sort of being completely occupied with that so yeah we've we've got it we've got it pretty good but uh bringing it back to spring training the the minor leaguers playing in major league spring training games is sort of if you're not whether you're going there in person or not, if you're not in a place where you can see minor league Mets baseball regularly, and if you're in the Northeast, you're probably not like super far from some affiliate that has either the Mets in it all the time or visiting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a chance to tune in and actually get just a little bit of a showcase. You know, you're not going to draw conclusions about a guy. But, you know, if I'm a Mets fan who never made the trek, and I still haven't made a trek to Binghamton. Same here. And when they play in Connecticut, it's usually during the week. You know, so it's it can be tough without taking time off to, like, get up and see them there if you don't live there. Um, hey, I can watch Dom Smith. Yeah. You know that like I I can't do that regularly. You know I might I might not be hardcore to the point that I have the minor league baseball streaming package. Uh, you know maybe I haven't seen him in person. So all I've done is read scouting reports and maybe see some clips or you know highlights maybe that come out of minor league games. But you know you get to put your eyes on somebody like that. So I think that's sort of where the value is in it. Um, we should probably actually run down who else is on the list before we get too too yes. far away here. Um, I'm going to need some pronunciation help here. On uh, is that Jorge? Yes. Okay, Jorge Carrillo, Dom Smith, uh, Phil Evans, Louis Guillerme, Champ Stewart, Travis Tyrone, uh, Chase Bradford, Kevin McGowan, Paul Sewald or Seawald, uh, Corey Taylor, Logan Taylor, uh, PJ Conlon, and David Roseboom. Roseboom? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I believe Roseboom is correct, but that extra little syllable may be in there. Yeah. As a resident Italian, I, I tend to throw extra syllables in places, and that just <laughs> that happens. Um, no, yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually think that this is something that is uh, is a very smart play a lot of times for the front office. I remember specifically when um, the first year that Brandon Nimmo was, on, was invited to spring training, or invited to major league spring training, rather, I remember a lot of my friends who, you know, follow the Mets but don't follow the Mets with sort of the veracity that you, that you or I do. Was uh, they were all impressed when they saw him in a game finally, as all they had heard was sort of the negative chatter that he wasn't, he wasn't everything they thought he was going to be, you know. And, and then they saw him and they thought, oh, I can get behind this guy. So in some ways, I think putting a Dom Smith, there's really no downside. There's the 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 part of the fan base that's down on Dom Smith. They're only going to be higher on him if he plays well and if he doesn't play well there's the excuse of well he's still he's still a minor leaguer you know we're not expecting anything really of him right now it's sort of a a no-lose situation what i will say is interesting is that uh especially based on all the media attention it would get i am i'm surprised the mets did not add tim tebow to the major league spring training roster even though that would be a disaster yeah and and you know, Sandy Alderson said earlier in the offseason that that was very unlikely, and 
you know, they stuck to it. it I, it's not unheard of to have a, like another wave of guys that get invited, but they invited so many. And as Steve Saipa pointed out in the piece uh, that he wrote about this on the site today, as we record, um, you know, the guys who are on the 40 man roster are also going to start there right. to, to begin with. So, you, you know, Ahmed Rosario, I think is the most interesting player of anyone in the organization right, right now. Right. Um, you know, there's unknown things about plenty of the major league Mets, but you know, this is like the guy, this could be the, you know, cornerstone guy to be, you know, hopefully he and Conforto are guys you build around. Um, in addition to the pitching staff, of course. <laughs> right. Right. And, so, and also, you know, as somebody who is sadistic enough to watch online innings of my, of spring training games on SNY, by the seventh inning, you're just having a ton of minor leaguers come over and get in a bat or pinch run or play the outfield for half an inning. So you might still see Tebow on TV once or twice. He just oh, won't yeah. be starting the games necessarily. And he might be. They bring players over from the minor league camp all the time to play. So, Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's tough because the minor league – side starts you know somewhat significantly later in terms of games against other minor league teams but you know if you want to sort of try to be fair to him and give him a shot to you know look like he's up to game speed you'd probably want him to get a good amount of exposure on the minor league fields and then you know, maybe get that. Oh, hey, we need we need somebody to, you know, play the outfield like you said. Play the outfield, maybe get in at bat uh, for the last two or three innings of this game, and and bring him over. But we'll see. It'll be very interesting. I I'm curious to see what the like the media breakdown is. I'm sure that there's like a Tebow contingent where the minor league fields are going to need, you know, somebody from the Mets PR. <laughs> there at all times um and have a contingent following him but as much as there's that circus i do think that you know everything else like everybody's going to probably have a tebow story in the major new york outlets at some point but i think it's sort of going to be this divide of like the the you know covering the major league mets the contending team and then the sideshow of Tebow. If you're like uh, a prospect who, you know, wants to get on TV <laughs> or get in pictures, you're probably going to have a lot more cameras around on the minor league side than you would in a normal year. So I, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And I don't think it's a bad thing for anyone, but uh, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how much different that minor league side looks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm very interested to see how this Tebow situation shakes out. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, another tiny bit of Mets news today. The Mets and Zach Wheeler avoided arbitration, agreeing to a one-year $800,000 contract. Wheeler, of course, has not pitched since Tommy John surgery almost two full seasons ago. And, uh, yeah, this is a bit of a formality, but, you know, it's um, it's the beginning of January, folks. <laughs> Jay Bruce yeah. hasn't been traded yet. Uh, they haven't signed uh, any uh, real relief arms yet, so here we are. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, he's not the first. Rene Rivera came to terms on a deal pretty early in the offseason. Um, I think his was one point seven million, something like that. Yeah. So Wheeler comes in at eight hundred thousand. Both of those guys are a shade under the MLB trade rumors projections for uh, arbitration eligible player salaries for this year. So you know the team saved a little bit of money, and you know we've sort of gotten the feeling over the last few weeks that they are maxed out for opening day payroll right now. And, you know, the big relief should come from trading Jay Bruce, uh, assuming they can do that. But every little bit helps if, you know, 
if 13 million to Jay Bruce is a big deal, then, you know, 500,000 less than they might have spent otherwise. Um, you know, that might matter a little bit in terms of signing a reliever. And we we always come back to this. I wish that weren't the case. But uh but yeah, you know, I always root for the players in these scenarios, but in the spirit of uh the team succeeding, it it doesn't hurt, I guess, uh if they're getting out of it a, a little bit lighter than expected. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard to root for the team in this scenario. Yeah, no, not, not <laughs> certainly in the part of the the player's, you know, career where he basically has no leverage and if not for like standard sorts of guidelines and raises that were built in he you know would be making a fraction of the amount of money that the team brings in so i mean still more than you and i make that's a whole other story yes oh yeah no they, i think <laughs> they're, they're still there's still that like oh you know appreciating making four or five hundred thousand dollars to to play a game but you know also balancing that they are worth far more than that. Oh, absolutely. Especially, especially if they're good, uh, they're worth far more than that to to the team. So it's you know it's always. I just find it, it feels weird to be like rooting for the team, but uh, in in that scenario. But here I am. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. All right, we got two emails. You can always email us podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Before we get to our emails, just really quickly, um, Monday night, the 16th, I believe it is, of uh, of January, Chris and I are going to be at an event in, uh, in New York City. It is hosted by Nelson Figueroa. It is the Nelson Figueroa Annual Charity Bowl. It is going to be held at uh, Lucky Strike Manhattan, which is actually, I believe, in the Port Authority bus terminal. Or if not in it, right next door to it. The address is uh, six sixty West Forty Second Street, and it's uh, it seems like a pretty nice event. It's forty dollars to bowl, and there's going to be uh, Nelson Figueroa and uh, Jim Duquette, the former Mets general manager, as well as some other local New York celebrities, some TV stars, a radio personality or two. Um, you know, folks like that. It's going to a good cause. It is supporting uh, Chai Lifeline, which if you listened to the show last week, you heard Nelson talk a little bit about. Um, so Chris and I are planning on being there. So if you're going to be there, find the two most handsome guys in the room and come say hi. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then come find us and say hi after that. So ah, that, Yeah, there uh, we go. See, there's that self-deprecating humor I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's get to the emails. Happy New Year, Brian and Chris. As I sit and contemplate the upcoming season, I can't help but reflect on the SNY team of Ron, Keith, and Gary. How talented and synergistic are these guys? This isn't really news to anyone, as the team has been doing it for years. Am I such a homer, or are these guys really that good? My question to you gentlemen is, what national-level broadcasters, without the last name Scully, do you find most entertaining for play-by-play in color? As an aside, not a huge fan of him as a player or a person, but I hate to admit that I enjoy commentary from A-Rod. Am I alone in this? Brad. Uh, I liked A-Rod this offseason, actually. Yeah, I'll admit that I didn't see a whole ton of the coverage just because it was mostly pre- and post-game. Uh-huh. And generally speaking, I'm not, you know, tuned into that, especially once the Mets are out. Mm-hmm. Um. But what I did catch uh, was good, and I, I know other people whose baseball opinions I trust were very high on his work in that role. Um, do you, is it a little more detail, perhaps, that you have on? Uh, what I'll say is this. I, I feel like when you hear about A-Rod the person, so much is talked about how selfish of a person he is. And right. just, you kind of get this impression of him being just a real prick. And he could totally still be that. I'm not letting like the TBS post game or whatever it is sway my opinion from there. But I felt that he was a very thoughtful analyst and brought a lot of not only his personal experience as a ball player to it, but really, I think he did a good job talking the listener through his thought process while in the game. And yeah. not every player can do that. That's that's tough. That's that's one of the nice things I think specifically about Ron Darling actually is. Ron is great at 
putting you in the mindset of a pitcher in a big spot. And I love watching Ronnie work when there's men on base and and the pitcher is struggling a little bit. And just the way he talks about being in that situation, it really puts you inside the game. And I felt that A-Rod did a good job doing that as well. And that's surprising because A-Rod has very little experience as an analyst. You know, Ron Darling's been doing this for a long time now. And Ron Darling had a sizable chunk of time to get better at being in front of a camera after he retired. A-Rod made the pretty seamless transition, so I think it's impressive just based on that. I actually think if A-Rod wanted to, he could be quite a good, he could be a, a very good analyst in a couple of years. Yeah, A-Rod did not have his shallow Hal moment. No, he didn't. He did not have his voice dubbed over in shallow Hal. You're right. <laughs> good pull. Yeah. Good, good pull, Chris. Um, Thanks. Thanks. Uh I mean, to answer the first part of the question, they really are that good. Yeah, so uh, let's see. I'm thinking I'll I'll try to – I'm still kind of working in reverse here. But tackling the the other stuff, and Mm -hmm. we can praise them uh, a little bit more in in a minute. But, uh, you know, what other broadcasters do I find entertaining? Yeah. it's tough. A national level, you know, obviously. I'll say John Miller from the Giants. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny. He was part of that ESPN booth that was. It was horrific, yes. Hated. Yeah. Has, Although he was never really the problem. We all know that, but still. Really, No, no, but it was it was part of the, you know, there was a significant portion of baseball fans who wanted nothing to do with those broadcasts. <laughs> I was part of that group, so I understand. Yeah, and, and as was I, but the. You know, the <clears throat> excuse me, his work aside from that, I, I think is very good. Um, my guy outside of Gary, Keith, and Ron is um, Gary Thorne. And, you know, it's uh, he, he just he, he calls a good game. Uh, I don't always like his takes. Um, you know, sometimes he kind of delves into things, but that, it, you can get that way with any announcer. But he's got a good voice. He's got a good energy. Uh, so I enjoy listening to him. And, you know, the the non-A team on Yankees broadcast is actually pretty good. I was just going to say the same thing. Um, you know, when you get, like, Ken Singleton play-by-play. And David Cohn. Right. And then Cohn... Uh, a former player who's open to analytics and things that are newer. Um, and, you know, it's funny. It's rare uh, that you have that where you can blend what you were talking about earlier with Ron uh, with, you know, a really thorough understanding of information. So uh, it's those are guys who come to mind for me. Uh, I think – and you, you really you got to be into hockey to appreciate a good hockey analyst. And I know this is not really the question, <laughs> but I think the the person in sports who I've seen who's the best at this, and it's he's you know he's not in the booth for any of the game, but uh, Steve Valiquette, the former goalie uh, for the Rangers, and uh, you know he's done studio work as an analyst for MSG, and it's like the perfect blend of, you know, especially with goaltending, but goalies are kind of like catchers, you know, you, the, the whole right, game's right. in front of them at all times. Um, you know, they, they see things a certain way that nobody else really does. So, you know, he's got that really great blend of going deep dive into analytics and sort of what you said with A-Rod too, like taking you through something. And when I, when I listen and watch, I feel like I'm learning things that I wouldn't see or I just didn't know. And, uh, you know, it, it's with baseball, I think that's even tougher to do because there's so many games to fill. And also, it's just uh, if, if, if I, everyone that's watching a baseball game knows how to throw a baseball. So Ron Darling is giving you like the, the, <laughs> the, the, the 1% that separates a great pitcher from an okay pitcher, but that's still only like 10% different than how you and I throw a baseball. You know what I mean? So to make it interest, to make the minutia interesting, 
I think is actually quite difficult with baseball because everybody understands the sport at such a basic level. So I, th- I think it's a really, really a, a talent to uh, to explain things that way. My other guy I'm going to talk about is somebody who um, I, I think is very much borders on a parody of himself and is not always great, but I think he he has that Vin Scully thing of just making the game feel grand, and that's Bob Costas. I, I think when Bob Costas is doing play-by-play, which he doesn't do... He's doing it more now because of MLB Network than he was a couple of years ago, but when he's doing play-by-play, I, I think he actually... He does a really nice job of sort of setting the stage for a game, and while he may not be as knowledgeable about all the players because he is covering national games, I think he does a, a decent job. I certainly like him better than some of the other MLB uh, analysts who, who call games as well. I'm talking to you, Matt Veskersen. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I'm coming. You know, just coming back around to the beginning. Gary, Keith, and Ron, we are spoiled, and you know, we're spoiled in the radio booth as well. Uh, something that I think we point out a lot, but it's always good to remember. You know that there's a combination of five regulars and the substitutes have been pretty good over the last couple of years as well. But the, you know, the day in day out listening experience is top notch. And I don't know that there's another team uh, aside from the Dodgers when, you know, they had Scully's call as the radio call for part of the game. And then it was TV the whole time uh, when they were at home. But aside from like an all Scully thing, I don't know if there's any other team that has that ability where I can get, if I'm a fan of that team, I can get excited to listen in either format. Yeah. So so we're uh, we we've got it made. You know, that's something the Mets have just consistently done right. And you know, over long stretches of time, there aren't that many things that they've consistently done right. Yeah, I was actually going to say that how the Mets have always put a premium on their broadcasters. And I wonder why that is. I wonder if there's some organizational philosophy there or if it's just been good luck. Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> they, they happen to make Howie Rose and Gary Cohen Mets fans when they were kids, and they're both really good at what they do. <laughs> exactly. Worked out really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're that good. Be thankful. Uh, our last email today is from Joshua. He says, what do you guys think of Dom Smith? What do you think of Wheeler after coming off of Tommy John? Um, I'm confident taking the second part. I think we have no idea with Wheeler. It's been a long time since he's pitched. The raw stuff is there. The Tommy John success rate is pretty high. So you hope that he comes back and looks good. But, you know, it's 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 a crapshoot in the best circumstances. And he's had a, cons- he's had a few considerable setbacks. So, you yeah, know, I, I don't know. For me, I'm I'm going in with zero expectation for him for this year. And that's not an insult. Uh just trying to be realistic in the amount of time that he's missed. Uh, you know, just before well, it wasn't just before, he got hurt in spring training. So he you know, he finishes that season, um then he has Tommy John the following spring. But that the last time he was out there consistently playing you know, really felt like, oh, he turned the corner and, you know, not not just in like a like a look at it way. I, I'm going to try to back this up with the stat, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure down the stretch in 2014, he was quite good. So let's let's fact check myself on that. We also have to remember, though, how long ago that was. Right. You know, that was that was the, the late summer, early fall of 2014. We're not going to see him pitch for the Mets in the most optimistic setting until what may maybe in the major leagues in the most optimistic way we can be well i mean most optimistic is i think it's still april I, I okay i guess not most optimistic i think you know yeah. balancing some sort of of reality here so even if it's april that's that's almost you know it's, it's over 2 years since he's thrown in the major leagues yeah oh yeah yeah so it's you know, but so going back to that, it's just it was frustrating because it felt like that was the case. So despite 
His uh, he had a terrible start in September, where he gave up six runs in four innings that year. Uh, despite that, from July through the end of the season, he had a two point eight zero ERA. You know, uh, ninety two strikeouts, thirty seven walks, and in ninety innings. Just you know, really what you were hoping to see. And now that it is so long ago, um, you know, so where where does he come back? You know what. Like, does any of that even matter now, you know? Um, it, it was a flash of what he could be, but whatever gains and things that he was doing then, he his arm has not been capable of trying to go back and repeat that for a very long time. So I'm just... The promise was there. He's still only 26, uh, and he's a likable guy. He's, you know... And he he called to plead his case to not be traded, uh, and you know that that's rare. But I I like that. I like that he's all in. He he doesn't want to leave. He wants to be part of this team and this rotation. Ultimately, um, if it turns out that he's just a great reliever, and you know the other guys are all kind of humming along in the rotation, that's fine. Um, and there might always be an opportunity to move back to the rotation down the road. But if that's kind of a way, you know, say he gets 60 to 70 innings out of the bullpen this year, then maybe you can up the workload a little bit. You know, it it just feels like you're like starting over in so many ways. Absolutely. You know, and uh, thank goodness that the Mets are so deep in, in starting pitching right now, or there'd be a lot riding on him coming back as good as he was those last few months of 2014. But because the Mets are so deep, that's not the case, and they can take their time with, with Wheeler. And, you know, we may not see Wheeler until the second half of the season. I hope that's not the case. But if we did, that wouldn't be the end of the world because the Mets have the pitching depth to to let him really take his time. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then to answer the first part of the question, what do we think of Dom Smith? Um. Well, okay. Let me, I'll I'll happily fall on this sword. Um. You know, I don't I don't know what I think of Tom Smith. You know, from everything I've read about Tom Smith, it seems like he is not the type of first baseman that I would necessarily want for my team if I was constructing a team from scratch. You know, he doesn't have a ton of power. He's not super athletic. You know he's he's probably going to be a, a an an above average hit above average hitter for average in the major leagues. He's he's going to hit the ball a lot. I don't know about his power. He doesn't have any other position to move way to move to if his power doesn't hold up for first base. So that's a little bit concerning. Um, but I I'm not one of these folks who hates Dom Smith in, in in principle. You know if he turns out to be a great player, that's that's a wonderful thing. What I do have a problem with is, and you alluded to this earlier, Chris, is when people are already penciling him in over Lucas Duda, who is yeah. who is a good baseball player, despite what many stupid people think. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I think my answer to the question uh, is that I am somewhere between Jeff Paternostro mm-hmm. and people who want. Duda gone to clear room for Dom Smith. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now. Uh, so there's a whole lot of space in between. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, Jeff has not only knocked him, he's been lower on him than, uh, you know, certain other uh, people who, who cover minor leaguers. Um, you know, Keith Law has been particularly high on Dom Smith. Uh, you know, so there's there's a range. But, you know, Jeff's not saying he's useless and never going to make it to the major leagues i think you know his perspective on it is based on seeing him in person a lot and you know kind of coming away from it with the impressions that he's gotten and i think the concerns he expresses are valid um did you did you uh sneak in a mighty mighty boston's reference oh not intentionally you said that was the impression that he got Ah uh, yes, I do know that song. I did have one Boston's record, whatever the one that one was, uh, yeah. was on. Uh, I think we all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, 
Um, anyway, that was that was an aside that had no purpose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm trying to make another one and, and drawing a blank, but something, something, the Rascal King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Is well, that the no, name of the song, I, Rascal I, King? The Adam Adam Carolla's theme song for his podcast. Hmm. Which I only know because I was forced to listen to it in a car recently. Yeah. Anyway, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I made a dumb joke and we're wasting time on it. No, I. <laughs> but yeah, so put me somewhere in between. So I, maybe, um, I would say that I I share the concerns that that Jeff uh, has expressed because you know I. I trust his opinion on on these things, and he, you know, he's he's good at what he's doing uh, and what he's done. Both, you know, when he was doing it at Mason Avenue, now with Baseball Prospectus. So, I see those things. I have concerns about them. Uh, I'm I'm just I think a little more optimistic that maybe there's something more there. Uh, but you know, I agree that we need to see more in-game power. Uh, and it, it it increased last year with Binghamton, but it, you know, there's just there's got to be more. The first base is not a joke when it comes to the offensive demands. Yeah. So yeah, um, I don't know if he is the successor to Lucas Duda yet, uh, and I have a feeling we're going to get to see him try. You know, uh, possibly in a year. You know, maybe a little bit longer, but we shall see. Yeah. Well, uh, send us some emails for next week, and we'll uh, hopefully see you Monday night. And uh, yeah, yeah. Podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Oh, and one other plug before we go. Sure. Um, Eric kicked off a contest. Yes, yes. For yes, iTunes yes. reviews of the podcast. So if you're listening. And you haven't done so yet. Go ahead, submit a review in iTunes of the show. Uh, and when you do it, whatever you know, I think uh, just copy paste whatever. Uh, there's a post on the site. You, you send it in uh, for for Eric to receive and review, uh, so he can review your review. <laughs> and there's some free T-shirts. I'm, I'm saying leave a review for the podcast and tell us you did it. I mean, you might get some swag. Yeah, we were actually just discussing the quality of the Amazing Avenue t-shirts. So, you know, it's a good thing to get. Get get on that, guys. Yeah. I don't know how to end this. Fans, this is Steve Sniper here, and I'm here to talk about some winter baseball. Uh, first thing, I just want to let everyone know I'm getting over a cold, so my voice is a little uh, nasally and stuffed here, so I apologize about that. So anyway, so um, I want to focus on baseball in the Caribbean this week. There are four leagues that we're playing that are mostly wrapped up now. Uh, there's the Dominican Winter League, the Mexican Pacific League, the Puerto Rican League, and the Venezuelan Winter League. The Mets had a handful of players participate in those leagues, so let's go over how those guys did. First, let's check out the Dominican Winter League. And we had two players play with the Aguilas Cibayanas. And those two players were Juan Lagares and Scarlin Reyes. Lagares played in 14 games, and he was 8 for 47 in those games, with one walk, four strikeouts, and one stolen base in one attempt. And Scarlin Reyes allowed one earned run in 2.2 innings over two games, which comes out to a 3.38 ERA. He allowed four hits, he did not walk a batter, and he struck out four. Next in the Dominican Winter League were the Leones del Escogido, and we had three Mets players playing on that team. Luis Mateo, Rafael Montero, and newly signed minor leaguer Ben Rowan. Mateo gave up one and run in two outs <laughs> over one game, which comes out to a 13.50 ERA, and he allowed three hits, and he did not walk a batter, and did not strike out a batter. 
Rafael Montero, he allowed three earned runs in one inning of work over one game, which comes out to a 27 ERA. He allowed four hits, he walked two, and he struck out one. And finally, Ben Rowan, he allowed three earned runs in 11 innings of work over over 13 games, which comes out to a 2.45 ERA. And he allowed four, excuse me, he allowed eight hits, he walked three, and he struck out three. Next, we'll look out now, is the Mexican Pacific League. The Mets had a few guys play over in that league. First, we'll look at the Aguilas de Mexicali and catcher Jorge Carrillo played for them. He hit 286, 374, 407, over 60 games with them. He slugged three home runs. He walked 21 times and struck out 30 times. Uh, next, we're going to look out the Gineros de los Mokis, and the Mets had two players playing on that team. One was catcher Juan Uriarte, and the other was left-handed pitcher Jose Medina. Uriarte went 2-16 in 10 games, and he walked three times and struck out five times, while Medina gave up seven earned runs in 14 innings over 13 games, <clears throat> which comes out to a 4.50 ERA. He allowed 15 hits, he walked 6 batters, and he struck out 11 batters. And finally, we had Paul Sewalt, who pitched for Los Najaranjos de Hermosillo in the Mexican Pacific League, and he gave up 7 runs in 19 innings over 18 games, which comes out to a 3.32 ERA. He allowed 16 hits, he did not walk a batter, and he struck out 14. And he saved 11 games in 11 opportunities. Next, we'll look at the Puerto Rican League. Uh, the Mets had three players playing in that league. The first guy that we'll look at will be Phil Evans, who played for uh, the Cirios de Caguas. Evans hit 311, 386, 446 in 19 games with them, slugging one home run, uh, walking eight times, and striking out ten times. The other two players, Jason Bradford and Nabil Krismat, they both pitched for Los Gigantes de Carolina. Bradford gave up four earned runs in 19.2 innings over 15 games, which comes out to a 1.83 ERA. He gave up 21 hits, he walked six batters, and he struck out 22. And he notched six saves in eight opportunities. Uh, next is Krismat. He gave up nine earned runs in 24.2 innings over seven games, four of which were starts. So that comes out to a 3.28 ERA. He gave up 26 hits. He walked six batters, and he struck out 18. And the final league that I'm going to be looking at this week is the Venezuelan Winter League. And the Mets had two players playing in that league, uh, Asdrubal Cabrera and Darwin Ramos. Cabrera played for Los Leones de Caracas, and in 10 games, he went 3 for 32, with 3 walks and 10 strikeouts. And Darwin Ramos <clears throat> pitched for the Navegantes del Magallanes, and he gave up 7 runs in 6 innings over 8 games, which comes out to a 10.50 ERA. Uh, he gave up Nine hits, he walked three batters, and he struck out six. So there you have it. Those are four winter leagues that uh, pretty much are over now. Um, There's some other leagues going on that are still playing baseball uh, that don't have any Mets players or prospects in them. The ABL, the Australian Baseball League, and the Serie Nacional de Cuba. Obviously, the Mets don't have anybody there. Uh, So that is our winter baseball wrap-up. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot. Hello, this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and I'm really excited because soon the Mets are going to trade Jay Bruce. Hopefully they are said to be closer to moving him, and now that the holidays are over, the Mets will hopefully see a deal done soon, and 
end all the drama, even if they have to eat a little bit of cash, even if they don't get much back in return. The club appears to be better off without him because he doesn't offer much in the way of defense and an offense. The Mets, at least for their for their future, need to see if Michael Conforto will develop into a full-time player. So that's good. And the story that is also buzzing around kind of randomly is that Wally Backman told Bob Clappish of the Bergen record that he is being blackballed by Sandy Alderson, and that's why he has to manage in the Mexican League this summer instead of in minor league baseball or major league baseball. This is a uh, interesting story because, as most of you know, Backman was let go of by the Mets last year and has not been able to find another job with a major league club, it seems, and he blames that on Alderson planting seeds against him in the in with all his front office friends, but really, there's two reasons why, at least specifically with the Mets, why Backman can't get a oh why he was let go or why it was smart of the Mets to let him go. The first is that these fiery old school get in a fight with an umpire managers aren't the cool thing to have anymore. Look at the managers who are at the top of Major League Baseball, like Joe Madden, Mike Matheny. Who else? I'm missing other guys, obviously. But Joe Madden is kind of the prototype right now. He just brought the Cubs the World Series. He made the Rays relevant in Tampa Bay, although certainly Andrew Friedman played a huge role in that as well as general manager. But... Today's managers are more calm. They are making sure that everyone in the clubhouse likes each other. They're not focused on firing everyone up by throwing a tantrum or throwing dirt all over home plate and making themselves look like a fool in the old Lou Pinella way. And certainly Lou Pinella had a really long, successful major league managing career, but that's just not the prototype of what the major league manager is nowadays, and it doesn't seem like Backman's been adjusting to that, and that leads to the second reason why the Mets were smart to let Backman go, and that is that a lot of media members seem to think that that old-school fire-em-up, get-angry-at-everyone manager is still the right way to go, and that means that every time Terry Collins makes a bad move, it's the Neil rise up and try to get Backman in there, and that is a huge distraction when they have this guy who was a fan favorite from the 1986 team, and and, and so many writers think that he's going to be better at the job than Terry Collins, and every time Terry Collins gets second guess, they bring up Wally Backman, that's going to be a huge deal. And while it shouldn't happen with Collins leading his undermanned team last year that was injury-riddled and looked to be down and out and leading them to a playoff spot. It shouldn't happen that the media would bring up Backman. It seems that that could still be a possibility because the Mets are still considered to be contenders this year. So they go on a losing streak. The Mets just don't need to hear it. The Mets have been there before the last two years. They've been down and out. They've been to a place where where it didn't look like they were going to make the postseason, and Terry Collins was able to manage this team through the storm. And if the team goes on another swoon in August or in July, then the Mets don't need to hear it from the media about how Wally Backman is should replace him, and he's already in the system, and it would be so easy, and everything would be good. The Mets just don't need to hear it. So that's why they had to let him go. He was just more of a distraction than an asset, and when that happens... It's time to cut bait. Now, I don't know why necessarily Backman's failed to find another big league job. There was that issue with the Diamondbacks. It was a, it's a few years back now where it's, he was about to be hired by Arizona, but then they were freaked out by something in his past, and they did not hire him. I think that would hold a lot more weight, that situation, than anything Sandy Alderson would say against Wally Backman. So... I'm not paying too much attention to this story beyond what I just talked about. 
in this podcast segment, but the Mets news is still pretty slow right now, although we are looking for the hot stove to heat back up again. Certainly, the Mets still have a couple moves to make, and we are just one and a half months away from spring training. The pitchers and catchers dates were just recently released, so that's always a good sign that the snow outside is slowly melting and that we will see green grass again. And until then, we'll keep you up to date on all the Mets happenings at AmazingAvenue.com. This has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening we truly appreciate it as always please go to amazingavenue.com to check out all the wonderful mets related content we put up there um you can email the show at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com when you rate review and subscribe on itunes please take a uh, screenshot of your review and email it to us and you might be able to win one of our prizes um, those ratings and reviews really do help us, so please, please do that if you can. You may also rate, review, and subscribe on Stitcher or whatever your other podcatcher of choice is. You can also follow the show and the site on social media at Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And as always, you can follow your contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at APY5000. And Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. So, by next week, maybe the Mets have traded Bruce. Maybe they've signed another minor league arm or something. Who knows? But whatever it is, we'll be here to cover it on Amazing Avenue Audio. And so, until next time, let's go Mets.